0: When Lisa was 16, she asked a lot of questions. Deep, philosophical questions.
1: Is there one objective reality that can be considered absolute or irrefutable? If so, can it be known? If it exists and it is known by no one, is it reality? In what form does it manifest? (laughs) To what extent is perception reality? Can false information be transformed into truth if it is perceived as such? Can both the subjective and the objective reality exist as one? Is to believe, to create? If I believe in a god, does that god exist? Where is the line between subjective and objective? Who's to say, inevitably, all these questions are meaningless? (laughs)
0: that's Lisa reading from the diary she kept when she was 16. And this? Well this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids is a live open mic event where brave adults get up on stage and share their weird, wonderful, and sometimes embarrassing writing with a room full of strangers. This time, recorded live at La Vitrola in Montreal, we have stories of teenage existential angst, summer camp love, and what it's like to be the smartest kid in the world. So think about the stuff you wrote when you were a kid, the stuff you might have stored away in an old shoebox in the closet, and stick around. Many people name their diaries, and Frank, for instance, famously named her diary Kitty. But Lisa, who we heard from just a minute ago, Lisa was not content to give her diary just one name.
1: Instead of calling you the same thing every day, I will call you a different word every time. Like, one day I might say, dear banana face, or dear octopus. That will make it interesting to read you later on in life.
0: It's important to note that Lisa wrote these diary entries when she was a young teenager and young teenagers swear. So as a quick heads up, Lisa uses a cuss word in her diary, which this time she addressed.
1: Dear Shadow, I'm keeping my cuckoo clock routine in the school play and Mike, the director, loves it. I have to wear this big heavy bird costume and I have to go inside a real clock. The clock is so small, and I have to squish in real tight to fit in it with my costume on. Inside there, it's pitch black, and I smell the fumes of the paint. The clock is very unstable and wobbly, and it's hard to open and close the door. This probably sounds like I'm complaining, but actually, I love it. (laughs) I get excited whenever I think about it, and it makes me kind of (laughs) dizzy. All right, dear camp. I hate my fucking dad, whom I only call dad, because he assisted in making my mother pregnant. Okay, Uh, something really big happened. Yesterday will be a day I will remember for the rest of my life, my first kiss. I feel kind of paranoid writing in a diary without a lock, especially with my mom in the same room as me. So if you're reading this and you aren't me, please stop now because I'm going into detail the funny thing is he was so perfect looking but none of that would have been worth anything if his personality was off but lo and behold there is such a thing as a perfect guy inside and out well almost he's into drugs and alcohol and and not only pot but ecstasy, shrooms, and acid as well. I, I, I told him he shouldn't do these things because I wanted him to be around for me to see him again, but I know he'll obviously do it again. You're probably thinking, he's not perfect. He's a crackhead, but no. He has a drug problem, and I love him for his good qualities. He'll get help when he's ready. Oh my god. That was foreshadowing of many things to come.
0: Our next reader, Jeff, brought along some short fiction. And like a lot of short fiction written by young kids, it is full of action and adventure and because Jeff is the lead character, it also features a little bit of boasting. Here's Jeff reading a story he wrote in elementary school called, Whoops, There Goes My Life.
4: It was a bright and sunny morning. I'm going to meet the president, I exclaimed. I still can't believe you're the smartest person in the world, said my mother. (laughs) I was nine, but I was tough. (laughs) Aw, jeez, Mom, it's a cinch, I said. I could have done that test in my sleep. Well, I was off. Ronnie, Reagan, was going to meet me. I had earned the title The Brain. My private limousine took me to the White House. The chauffeur took me to Reagan's office. He opened the door, and there he was, the big cheese himself. Well, said Mr. Reagan, I'm proud to be an American. (laughs) Well, I said, I'm proud to be a Canadian. (laughs) Oh, you're from Canada, said Reagan. How's Brian? (laughs) Mulroney. Fine, I replied, but when I went to see him, he puked in my socks. (laughs) Ooh, that's too bad, said the president. Uh, Did you change your socks? Uh. Yeah, I, I started, but I got interrupted by gunshots. Gunshots! No, I was mistaken. It wasn't gunshots. It was bazooka shots. Two men known as Bob and Jim Beloschemitz were standing in the hallway. They shot the president right in the nose. I thought the chances of me jumping out the window and flying were one million to zero. So I made a break for it. I ran all around the White House, but Bob shot me in the leg. Then he shot me in the head. The police came and took out the grenades. One, one policeman shot his grenade, and Jim and Bob blew up. Now... You're probably wondering how I could be writing this story if I'm dead. Well, I'm not. Dead, I mean. The police found out that Bob's bazooka, instead of having bazooka bombs, had two paper towel rolls stuck together with tape and paper towels wrapped around the paper, to- paper towel rolls. This was stuck in hardening clay, and it looked real. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's the end of that story, yeah. Uh... <laughs>
0: Now, Jeff's younger life wasn't all action, adventure, and meeting the president of the United States of America. He also had a sensitive, vulnerable side, which he showed off by reading a short selection from his diary. Here's Jeff one more time, writing at age 12, when he was just starting to feel the first confusing twinges of romantic love.
4: Uh, and this pretty much sums up uh, every romantic relationship I've had since then. <laughs> Um, 1989, uh, June 13th Greetings, my diary Today was a fun day I went to the park today with two girls and I realized something In my class, I don't like anyone in particular but everyone in general I say that a lot I'm very confused I might like someone but I don't want to And there's a little arrow with a note that says, I discovered this today, in capitals. (laughs) I might like someone, but I don't want to, and I don't think I like her. So there, I decided I don't like her. Problem solved. Thanks, diary. I never thought you'd be so useful. I'm going to write in you more often. By the way, the person today who I decided that I might like her and later found out that I don't like her, and then I crossed it out so I would never be able, and no one would ever be able to know who it was. That's
3: it. Thank you. (laughs)
0: William Zinsser once said that writing is thinking on paper. And I think that's especially true for kids. Childhood writing gives us a peek inside the way we used to think at times in our lives when we were still figuring a lot of stuff out. For Jeff, writing was about figuring out his early romantic feelings. And for our next reader, writing was about figuring out how to tell a story. Kids of course hear lots of stories. They hear bedtime stories, family stories, storybook stories. And kids are often surprisingly good at picking up on exactly what makes a story a story. Good guys, bad guys, tension, conflict, resolution. Well, when François was six or seven, he tried writing his own story, Le Mauvais Day, The Evil Dice. And if you listen very closely, you can hear François putting all of his careful narrative analysis to work.
5: So, The Evil Dice. There was ten years an Evil Dice lived in a castle. His brother was very nice. He would give all his money to the poor... (laughs) The next day, an evil dice captured his brother. His brother fell into a hole. He didn't get hurt. The brother of the evil dice got out of the hole. He went to see the evil dice and asked him why he made him fall into the hole. Because I don't want you to give your money. (laughs) The evil dice said to his brother, the person who wins the race wins money. The brother of the evil dice won. The evil dice gave all his money to his brother. His brother gave it all to the poor. The end.
0: Not only did the evil dice have a good guy and a bad guy, but I am pretty sure there is a moral to the story. Though I'm not sure exactly what that moral is. Francois posted scans of Le Mauvais Day, fully illustrated in its original French, on Facebook. If you want to see those pictures, I put a link up at our website, Grownups Read Things They Wrote As Kids.com. And while you're there why not sign up for our email newsletter? It is the single best way to find out about upcoming shows and to find out how you can share your own weird and wonderful writing at one of our tapings. You can sign up for the newsletter at our website one more time. That is com. Our next reader, Britt, brought along a selection of diary entries that cover a lot of familiar grown-ups read things they wrote as kids' territory. She writes about summer camp, love, and coming to terms with puberty. Here's Britt reading from the diary she kept when she was 12.
6: May 17th, 1998. Dear Diary. Hello. There is a petting zoo at the mall where they have a llama, mmm, looks nice. Mmm,
3: score.
6: I want one. Mrs. Charney said I could do my biography on Rosie O'Donnell. Mmm, score. August 15th, 1998. Dear diary, I have been to camp. I left you at home cause whatever, and also cause I didn't want anyone to see you or read you. Ha ha. At camp there were boys. They spoke French and had dark hair and are called Moroccans. (laughs) I had three boyfriends. Yannick Uh, Utmezguin, Jordan Bieri, and Benjamin Reva, but they all broke up with me. One girl made a song about me called Boing Boing Swish Swish about how I have boobs now. I hate it. They are just puffy today as well as yesterday. The right one is much puffier though. I hope it will depuff. October 8th, 1998. Hungry like crazy because the stupid Jewish rule is no eating today. <laughs> Maybe another religion would be cool. There is Christians like in Sister Act. Tao says that in Sister Act, they can't French for life, so whatever, I'll keep Jewish, cool. Bubby will be happy with dat news. (laughs) Mmm. Score.
0: Brit was not the only reader who felt conflicted about religion. Our next reader, Megs, brought along her grade three religion class, Duotang. Now, it's important to note here, Megs went to a French immersion elementary school, but her religion class was taught in English, which might explain some of her spelling and grammar. Here's Megs.
7: Uh, For those in the very front, you can see that... Uh, This is my title page, and um, Jesus is is tied to the back of a Roman chariot, and he's frowning, but the soldier is smiling. Um, So most of the duotang is filled with pretty typical things, uh, but there's this one particular sheet that's unusual in that it's just totally free form, no lines even on the page, and I wrote questions to my teacher about Jesus, and she responded. So, first question. uh, Did Jesus want to be good his whole life? The teacher (laughs) wrote, yes. Uh, Did Jesus tell a lie once in his life? The teacher wrote, no. Uh, How did God be invented? Uh, (laughs) The teacher responded, this is not related to Jesus and his life! (laughs) Exclamation (laughs) point. Fair enough. Uh... (laughs) Did Jesus have 12 Daspers at the same time? I think I meant disciples, not Daspers. Uh, The teacher wrote, yes. Uh, uh, Did Jesus go to school? The teacher wrote, yes. Uh, Did more people like Jesus or hate him? She wrote, like, which I don't know, because if you look at that title page, did Jesus know all the languages? But for the record, I spelled languages uh, L-A-R-A-R-G-U-R-I-S. Uh, the teacher wrote, no. Uh, did Jesus say a bad word in his whole life? The teacher wrote, no. Did Jesus live in heaven before he was born? Uh, the teacher wrote, no. The last two questions. Did Jesus ever fall in love with a lady? The teacher wrote no because apparently uh, the Da Vinci Code wasn't out yet and people didn't know about Mary Magdalene. Uh, and the last question: How did God make the world and the universe? <laughs> and she responded by writing not relevant. Thank you.
0: A lot of what people bring to grown-ups read things they wrote as kids is funny. Some of it is ha-ha funny. Some of it is weird funny. And I think it's good when we can look back at who we used to be and laugh, or in some cases, cringe. But I think it's also important to remember that growing up can be hard. When Vero was a teenager, she was depressed, clinically depressed. When she was 14, she spent some time in hospital to get treatment for depression and anorexia. And while she was in hospital, in the middle of the night, when she couldn't sleep, she wrote. Here's Vero. First, with a diary entry she wrote when she was 14, and then a piece of creative writing she wrote a few years later.
8: I remember, I must have been seven or something. Uh, We were on our way to my hunts. My mom and dad were in the front seat. And um, somehow I heard my brother my mom got angry at me, I think. And so for the rest, for the rest of the way till my aunts, um, I started scratching my legs and my arms. I must have scratched him, maybe over his face. And so I punished myself. When we arrived, I was all red and you could still see the traces of my nails on my skin. It was burning. My mom said, but what have you done to yourself? This is it. I was never punished, otherwise rarely. And so I would do it to myself. It's not since yesterday, the self-destructive behaviors. And the trembling hurt, the earthquake from before I was born, That was a sign. It was to announce to people, it wouldn't be an easy case living with me, different. I was going to hurt. I was going to scar people. And now the creative writing. In my city, you are not there, and I'm alone. I walk through life alone. Never sad or mad. Simply alone. And I wander under the bridge. But see, I'm never really alone. The city is always there with me. It follows me on every corner of every street I go to. The noise is always there, present around me. And there is no silence. The city keeps me company at night. Where you're not, in my bed. You're not here, but the city lights are. The windows are there for me to contemplate the outside world. While I stay inside, frozen in my bed. Alone, frozen in my bed. Alone, frozen here, without you.
0: Backstage after the show, I asked Verhoe why she wanted to share this particular part of her life with a room full of strangers.
8: In, in a way, it's not that I'm proud, but it's proud to see how come how far I've come from those years and those times, and uh, how I've grown into accepting and loving myself and being a happy human now, you know, a happy grown-up. So, um... But also because it's so much, still so much of a taboo, it needs to be talked about out loud. And we need to break the silence about these issues and um, hang in there. Just keep on living every day as it is, even though the hard times, it will all pay off.
0: When you're a kid, it is easy to feel like you are never in charge. Chores, bedtime, schoolwork, life is about following rules made by grown-ups. So, I guess it's not surprising that some kids fantasize about being the one in charge. Our next reader, Rachel, brought along a poem she wrote when she was seven or eight, called, If I Ran the House. Now there are two things you need to know about this. First, Rachel mentions the names of two of her siblings, and second, well, she was heavily influenced by Dr. Seuss.
9: If I ran my house, ah, it would be heaven. No dresses, yes, messes. We'd watch TV, all 24 hours, and only my mother would have to take showers. (laughs) The jokes can't be crummy, food must be yummy. I'd have a pet dog who walks the trapeze and says gizente whenever you sneeze. You can't eat spinach or garlic if you please. No movies that are scary or turtles that are hairy. No wait till mom comes home or leave me alone. Ah yes, heaven it would be. I can just see me being the boss, the leader, and best reader. You'd only clean your room on Sunday, not on Tuesday or Monday, and go for ice cream on Friday. Super Nintendo for three or four hours. I'd teach Devorah how to build Lego towers. You could dance, or sing, or do anything. But for now, Mom and Dad's the boss. Thank goodness they don't make me floss. And Sam's the best reader, and a big eater. But I can wait for the great day that I, Rachel Alexis Rosenberg, am the boss.
0: Being a teenager, can be confusing and awkward and frustrating. Part of you still feels like a little kid, but another part of you wants desperately to grow up and be independent, to be in control. And if that's not hard enough, right around puberty, hormones show up and make things even more confusing. Now, if there's one word I can use to describe our next reader's diary, that word is conflicted. When Lexi was 13, she was, in her own words, very sexually curious. But at the same time, she was very insecure. And her diary from that time really gets at that tension. What it's like to walk through a minefield of sexual curiosity and inexperience. Quick heads up, Lexi's diary does acknowledge the existence of sex. And though she is not describing actual events, her 13-year-old self did have, shall we say, a vivid imagination. Okay, there's your heads up. Here's Lexi.
2: Dear Diary, David is in Florida. I miss him an incredible amount. He's amazing. Just everything about him is perfect. I love him. I know he likes me. Well, of course he likes me. Why why would we be going out if he didn't like me? We didn't kiss yet, but we're gonna. The first thing we're gonna do is kiss. I want to stick my tongue so far down his throat, he'll be choking. I want him to touch me everywhere. Everywhere. Oh yeah, baby. And I would give him hand, but I'm afraid I won't know what to do and that I'll screw it up or laugh or something. I mean, I've never touched a guy's penis. I don't know what I'm capable of. <laughs> be dangerous. Who knows? But I want him to touch me. Anyway, I can't believe I have nothing to say. I'm sorry. I talked about David, and I guess he's the only thing on my mind right now. Well, that and thinking about how far I want to go with him. I don't really mind doing anything to him. I guess I could give him a handjob. Or even a blowjob. Double exclamation point. I could do that. I could see myself doing that. I just don't want anything done to me yet. I don't really know what one of those vaginas in brackets is supposed to look like. What if mine is abnormal or too big or too small? I don't know. Now I think I'm only comfortable with me being felt up and maybe giving a little hand? Question mark. I actually think I could handle it. Ha. Huh. <laughs> But whatever, I want you to know whatever happens with me and David, even a kiss on the cheek, you'll be the third person notified. (laughs) Anyway, it's 1.30 in the morning. It's a little late. I'm not tired though. I don't have to go to sleep. So I'm gonna read. So bye, it was nice having this chat. P.S. Or maybe he can lick my boobs? P.P.S. TV has created a monster.
10: I think that my my 13 year old self would be absolutely horrified uh, to know that I was I was reading my journal uh, out loud in a room full of people. If I could go back in time, um, God, what would I tell my my 13 year old self? Um, I would tell her that I am proud of her for being um, so thoughtful, I guess, and and at the same time. You know, thirteen-year-old kids are kids, and and I I I never felt like a kid. <laughs> Clearly, I always felt like an adult trapped in a kid's body, and I was ready to do all these things, and or or not ready to do all these things. And I think that was that was the hard part. Um, I, I I felt that I should be ready because I felt so grown up in so many ways, and and you know, I wasn't I wasn't ready to uh, to tackle all the all the sex stuff. <laughs> she does fine between then and now. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, thanks so much again for the opportunity. It was the last I hope that I can do it
3: again.
0: And that is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Our show was recorded live at La Vitrola in Montreal. Our music is by Poddington Bear. And if you want to find out when we're coming to your town for a live show or sign up for our email newsletter or listen to past episodes, all you have to do is visit our website, Grown Read Things They Wrote As Kids dot com. That's Grown Read Things They Wrote As Kids dot com. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.